Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And we don't view it as one body anymore. It's not like we're one body and that the head is Christ and that we're all working towards the same goal. It's like, well, those are the Pentecostals. Well, those are the Baptists. Well, those are the Episcopals. Well, those are the Presbyterians. And we keep ourselves separate. We don't sit at the same table and break the same bread. Why? Paul said, according to the scripture, that is a work of the flesh. When you have these divisions that shouldn't be there. Now, it goes on and it says that, that there's envy. Now, this word envy, this is probably the worst of all of these interpersonal... Well, murder's worse than that, I guess. We're going to see that next. But envy, what the word envy means, where jealousy is you're resenting what someone else has because you want it. Envy is when somebody else is blessed or finds favor, and you don't want what they have. You just don't want that person to have it. Do you understand? Have you ever seen this happen with your children, right? And they're arguing over a toy or they're arguing over like the last applesauce or something, right? And your daughter hates applesauce, but she just doesn't want your son to get the applesauce. That's envy. You don't even care about what is being rewarded. You just don't want the other person to find favor. That's envy. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? And then murders. The eventual result of allowing these things to fester in your heart is the kind of hatred that leads your mind into that place. Jesus said, you've heard it said, if you commit murder, right? Jesus said, no, no, it's not just if you commit murder, but if you say in your heart, or if you speak out danger or raka against your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Where's your heart at? Where's your heart at in these things? So there's these interpersonal sins, but then finally there's these social sins. The word drunkenness there. It means an excessive use of strong drink. It means being under the influence of alcohol rather than being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And if the alcohol is controlling your thoughts, controlling your actions, controlling your lifestyle, then you are walking according to the flesh. The word revelries means partying. It literally means orgies or carousing around with other people. And they would have these great big parties... That would be in basically in worship of false gods. So Paul says all of this list and the like, this isn't inclusive. There are other things you can do that mean you're walking according to the flesh as well. And the like, these things, all of these things, he says. I also told you, verse 21 in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're practicing these works, you will not see heaven. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. So that word practice, what does it mean? It literally means that that is what your behavior is governed by. Now, be very clear here just for a moment. I'm not talking about a believer who loves the Lord, who is committed to righteousness, who is committed to purity, who stumbles and falls into sin. Here's what the scripture says about that guy in Proverbs 24, 16. It says, for a righteous man may fall seven times, yet he'll rise again. Amen? 
What I'm talking about is someone who makes it a practice to do these things in their life. You're finding ways to hide it. You're finding ways so that it doesn't become exposed. You're finding ways to keep it a secret from those you love. You don't want this to come out into the open. And you're trying to find ways to become better at your sin and hiding your sin so you can continue living this kind of lifestyle. That's the person that I'm saying you better watch out because the scripture says those who practice these things will not see the kingdom of heaven. You see, in our lives, these works, these things that come across that are evidence that the flesh is governing our choices, our behavior, and our thoughts, these works are manufactured. And here's the thing. When works are manufactured, a machine can manufacture. A machine can produce goods. A machine can produce works. But a machine cannot produce fruit because fruit is alive. Works are dead. Works are dead. Did you hear me? Even the best that we can do. I'm not even talking about this list of sins. I'm talking about our best, the best that we can bring and offer to God. Even those things are dead. Dead works. If you're counting on how much money you give to the church or charity to get you into heaven, it's a dead work. If you're counting on how many hours you share the gospel to kids in children's ministry, it's a dead work. If you're counting on how much you gave to this building project, it's a dead work. If you're counting on how many hours you spend in a closet praying, it's a dead work. Dead, 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 dead. All of it. The book of Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best that we can produce is disgusting in God's eyes. Disgusting. Like toilet paper. Literally. There. That's what our righteous works or deeds look like in the eyes of God. Why? Because we cannot earn our way into his presence. Why would God look at what we try to bring in righteous works and look at that and say, I do not desire that. I do not want that. It's because he sent his son to a cross to do the ultimate work, the ultimate work of sacrifice. And every time we try to make up and complete what was already finished on the cross, it's an abomination to God. It's like spitting in his face. God, yes, I see your son hanging upon a cross, dead and lifeless, but if only I could pray a few more minutes, then I know I'll be right with you. If only I could give a little bit more money or a little bit more time, then I know you'll love me. And God is saying, what about the cross? What about what I've already done? Ephesians chapter 2, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Stop trying to work your way to heaven. Jesus secured a seat in heaven for you. He went and died in your place so you wouldn't have to suffer. All you have to do is receive that. Now, just as the works of the flesh are evident and living in the flesh is evident so too is living in the spirit it is absolutely positively evident when you see someone who is living in the spirit when jesus was approached by nicodemus in john chapter 3 and he said what can i do to get to heaven and jesus says you have to be born again 
Nicodemus is confused. How can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? We've looked at this verse over and over and over again throughout this time in the Holy Spirit series. But Jesus says this when Nicodemus is confused. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now listen. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here's what Jesus is saying. is You can't see the wind. You can't even hear the wind. You can maybe feel the wind. It's basically invisible, but you absolutely can see the effects that the wind has on the trees, can't you? You can absolutely see the effect that the wind has on the yard. You can see trash maybe that has been blown around. You can see it's absolutely evident when the wind has come through. Take a look at these pictures real quick. Now, we don't have to deal with hurricanes, although the last few weeks it's felt like it, right? That tree isn't bending on its own. That tree wasn't pulled over or or taken out by its roots on its own. The wind came and it changed the landscape. It changed the trees. And that's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 3. You're going to be able to tell when the spirit has come because that person will never be the same again. When that person is living according to the spirit, it will be evident. You'll have no questions. Listen to what Paul said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We all were living according to that list at one point in time or another. But guess what? When the Spirit comes and dwells within the believer, we become a bunch of such were some of yous that that verse is talking about. Did you get that? Paul said, such were some of you. This room is filled with such were some of yous. I used to be an idolater. I used to be a reviler. I used to be an adulterer. I used to be a liar. I used to be a murderer, a drunk, a thief. But I'm not anymore because God has changed me and it's evident. I'm like the wind that's been pulled up by the roots. I'm like the tree that's blowing in the wind. That's who I am now. I'm not the same person anymore. Are you as such were some of you this morning? See, Back in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us a list of fruit that is going to show, is going to make sure that we know that it's evident that someone is living according to the Spirit. He says this in verse 22, but the fruit, singular there, notice, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now pause there just for a moment. These are all inward attitudes of the heart. Love, the word love is agape in the Greek. It's the kind of love that God loves us with. Inward attitudes of the heart, if you can bring up that point. That's what God is saying. 
He's saying, look, when you have love, that love that you have, it's a special kind of love. It's not the way you love your dinner or you love your tacos or you, even maybe the way you love your wife. This is a love that extends itself, that, that stretches itself. It's a love that keeps on loving even when, when it isn't treated properly in return. The word literally means a sacrificing, unchangeable, and unconquering love. How many of you are blessed that that's the way that God loves you this morning? An unchanging, unconquerable love. He says that's the way you're supposed to love if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're living according to the Spirit. Now, how can we know what that love looks like? The Scripture's clear. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed us what love looked like, and it looked like His Son on a cross. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us that we also should lay our lives down for our brethren. He's given us not only a definition of love, an unconquerable, unchanging love, he's given us a demonstration of love when he went and he died in our place, when he gave himself so that we wouldn't have to die. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love. Jesus said this in John 13, Verse 35, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In Matthew chapter 22, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment of all? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is likened to it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. These two things, love God and love your neighbor a fruit of the Spirit. You're going to know if you're walking in the Spirit by how you are loving those around you. Now, I hope as we read through this, I know we read a long list of sins, these fruit. I hope we're more convicted by the fruit than we are the sin. I hope we're more convicted by the fact that we aren't always exhibiting these fruits in our lives. Love, second one is joy. The word means a lasting satisfying joy, a lasting, satisfying, nourishing happiness that is not dependent upon the circumstances around you. Did you hear that? When we have joy, that joy isn't going to be taken from us because we're going to end up with a choice between Hillary and Trump for president. I'm still going to have my joy because my joy isn't dependent upon those things. It's dependent upon what Jesus has done for me. And how can I be depressed? How can I worry when I know that love waits for me? It's not going to matter if your marriage isn't perfect right now. It doesn't matter if your children are not there and walking with the Lord. It's not going to rob you of your joy when things don't happen just the way you want them to in your life. That's not real joy. Joy is nourishing and satisfying and lasting even when your circumstances change. Do you follow me? That last word there of these, these inward attitudes of the heart is the word peace. It means an inward stability in the face of a storm. It means an absence of conflict. So there's this war, this tug of war going on in your heart. But when we have peace, it's like that struggle. It's like that tug of war. It's like that war that is raging in our flesh. It's alleviated some. It's soothed some. It's calmed some. It's peace. Now, this is the word that was used of a culture or a people who were under the lead of a benevolent dictator. Someone, when the, when the kingdom had a really good king, 
that led well. That's what this word peace was used of. You realize, don't you, every single one of you, that we have a really good king and that he is on the throne. And when we have this kind of peace in our lives, it doesn't matter what happens in our culture or in our world because we know that the king of kings and the Lord of lords is ruling and reigning from his throne and there's nothing that's going to happen on this earth that is ever going to change it. That's when you know you have peace. Jesus said at one point, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give you peace, but I give you a lasting peace, a peace that's going to mean something. Now, I want to point this verse out to you, Psalm 30, 11. When we think about these inward attitudes of the heart, Psalm 30, 11 says this, you have turned my mourning into dancing. Anyone ever used to mourn? Anyone ever used to have a really negative outlook on life? Maybe you didn't have hope. Well, here, look at, you have turned my mourning into dancing. I have, you have put off my sackcloth, and you've clothed me with gladness. Is there anyone else in the room that has reason to dance this morning? My mourning is turned to dancing. I have love, I have joy, and I have peace, and it completes me. It fills me to overflowing. So there's these inner inward attitudes of the heart, but then there's also this outward expression towards man. And that list begins with the word long-suffering. The word means a tolerance of people or personalities that just irritate you. Now, when I say that, every single one of you in this room is thinking of one person right now. And I hope that person isn't me, right? But when you think about this word, Lord, give me the opportunity to exhibit long-suffering in my life. If you pray that prayer, you're going to have a bunch of irritating people in your life because that's what the word means it means a tolerance of people who irritate you it's forgiveness at its best jesus said when you go into your prayer closet and you pray and you have something against your brother and you know you have something against your brother you need to go out of that prayer closet you need to forgive them first and then come back and pray that's long-suffering Peter asked, how many times should I forgive my enemy? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. It was a Hebrew idiom for saying, you can't count how many times you're required to forgive. You're wronged over and over and over and over again. And guess what? You still need to forgive. You still need to suffer long. You still need to exhibit long suffering in your life. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that everyone should come to repentance. That's how God loves. I wonder how often I'm really irritating to God. I can't believe you said that again. I can't believe you did that again. I can't believe you didn't take time with me again. And these things, it would be, if it was in my life, I'm sure I would be irritated. But God's love suffers long. He doesn't look at you like that. Because his long-suffering is even perfect. You realize you don't irritate God? Now, you might feel like you're a pretty irritating personality. Maybe you feel like you irritate a lot of people around you. You don't irritate God because God's long-suffering is perfect. Perfect. So long-suffering, but then there's also kindness. And this word means that you actually move. Your love causes you to move. Your love causes you to act. You take action when you see someone else's need. 1 John 3, 7 
Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It forces you to act. You step out in faith and you say, I see that need and my love is going to urge me. It's going to compel me to meet that need. That's what that word kindness means. Now, I don't know when the last time was you allowed your love to bring you to the point of movement. But how would our lives be different if we just changed the way we love people in our home? If we just started showing kindness to people in our home. When we saw a need in our home, we said, my love is going to compel me to meet that need. How different would our lives be? Look at the word goodness there. The word goodness means reaching out in grace we, even when it's not deserved. Even when it's not deserved, Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? Give him the other cheek. If he makes you go walk a mile, what do you do? You walk two miles. If he tries to take your coat, you give him your sweater. He just says, they don't deserve it, but you give it anyway. That's what this word goodness means. It means giving even when it isn't deserved. And this is what Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says. Do not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God's goodness, that he showers and lavishes us with grace even when we don't deserve it. And so finally, there's the inward attitudes of character. The first one, there's faithfulness. It means reliability. It means someone who's trustworthy. God hasn't called you, my friend, to be successful. He's called you to be faithful. He hasn't called you to be the best at something. He's called you just to be faithful, just to show up. Gentleness, the word means meekness or humility. It's power under constraint. It's the same word Jesus used of himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. I am gentle and lowly in heart. I am meek. I have all the power of the universe, but yet I still choose to surrender it so that I can meet your need. Do you follow? Here's the thing, man. I want to speak to you just for a moment. In our culture... Being gentle as men, you know, gentle men, being gentle as men is not really applauded like it used to be. It's actually frowned upon. If you're not tough, if you're not hard, and if you're not firm, then you're soft, right? You realize the scripture says that we need to be gentle, gentle with the people we love. Yes, we could come down and we could rain down the wrath of God on them with our voice and with our words, but should we? Are we treating our children and our spouses with gentleness, with tenderness, with love, and with compassion? Because the scripture says that when we're walking in the spirit, that's how we're going to be treating those that we love. Gentle and tender, respectful. And that last word there is self-control. It means a mastery over your desires. Someone who has control over their desires and their passions. Now, just as works are manufactured, know this, fruits are grown. And the only way that you will ever have fruit in your life is if you're growing with Christ. You can't produce fruit on your own. These things will not naturally come out of you. You will not naturally, men, be gentle. 
if you don't have God's spirit moving and working in you. You will not naturally be tender. You will not naturally love the way God has called you to love. You won't naturally have joy and peace. You won't naturally have kindness and goodness. You won't naturally be faithful or have self-control. These are things that have to be grown. And the only way that they can be grown is when we are connected to Christ. So just as we have to walk in the spirit, Believers must abide in Christ. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.